Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse number 1, here's what we read. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, upon Jesus, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two disciples standing by the lake but the, oh, I'm sorry, and saw two, fish, uh, two ships. I'll get my, I'll get, I'm preaching on fish and ship and everybody else tonight. Uh, fish, chips, and chips ahoy. <laughs> All right, let me read verse 2 again, get this right. And saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he, Jesus, entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when, they had, uh, uh, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. And he was astonished, and all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. So was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. What an amazing fish story. So let's talk about this tonight. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for good music. Lord, thank you for those who can play instruments and sing for us. I appreciate them using their talents to be a blessing uh, to our church. Thank you for that. We've always had good music and good singing in our church. Thank you for that. And now I pray that you'd bless the Word of God and speak to our hearts tonight. And may we be encouraged. May there just be a point or two in this sermon or maybe just a word or something in this message that would encourage our hearts and help us tonight, I pray, from the, from the Bible, from the Word of God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for the past couple of Sundays, mornings, and now at night, we've been involved in a series of messages that I've called Fish Stories. During these, uh, these, uh, these services, I have mentioned how that fish was a very important commodity uh, in the days of our Lord. Now, I think in our day, we probably eat more beef and pork and chicken, uh, but if we would have been alive back in the days of the Lord, probably the main meat of that day would have been that of fish. In fact, we often read that during the earthly ministry of our, of our Savior that he and the disciples ate fish. Most of the time we read that they ate broiled fish. Now, personally, I like fried fish. I like French fries, coleslaw, ketchup, hush puppies, and ketchup, and fish and ketchup. I love fried fish. But bless their heart, they ate broad fish. You may remember that after our Lord resurrected from the dead, that he stayed here upon the earth for 40 more days. And it was during those four, that 40-day period that Luke reminds us in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus went about during that 40-day period and he began to show himself to be alive by many infallible proofs. 
Beyond any doubt, Jesus showed himself to be alive. Well, one of those proofs, those infallible proofs that uh, Jesus did while he, uh, to prove that he'd risen again from the grave, believed it or not, it involved fish. Because we read this after his resurrection, and while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, now this is after his resurrection, Jesus said unto them, have you any meat? And the Bible said they gave him a fish, a piece of broiled uh, honey, uh, broiled fish, and, and of honeycomb. And the Bible said Jesus took it and did eat before them. So even after his resurrection, the Bible said that Jesus was going about eating fish. He was proving himself that he was alive, and he took fish and he ate it. As I've told you before, that seven out of the 12 disciples that the Lord called to be by his side, seven of those men were fishermen. So I guess it stands to reason that throughout the Bible, especially the four Gospels, that occasionally we'll run into some kind of a fish story in our Bible. And we have been considering some of these fish stories in recent services. Now again, I remind you that the fish stories that we read in the Bible and the fish stories that you hear around here are just a little bit different. And I say that for this reason. The fish stories that we read in the Bible are true. Can I have an amen? You know, oftentimes, the fish stories that we tell, we embellish them a little bit. And usually, it always is somewhere about one that got away. But in the Bible, sto the Bible stories concerning fish, they are all true. And we have another one of these fish stories for us in the Word of God tonight. It is actually another one of those fish stories, you know, went fishing, caught nothing kind of stories until the Lord Jesus showed up. And when the Lord Jesus showed up, boy, did the fishing pick up. You know, anytime Jesus shows up, business is going to pick up. Amen. And so in our text tonight, Jesus shows up. And the, the next thing you know, I mean, they've got such a haul of fishes that they can't even get them in. And there's so many fish that the boats, plural, start to sink. I guess if I had to title this sermon tonight, I'd probably say going fishing with Jesus because that's really what this story is all about. Now what we have here, and I'm just going to very practically move through the story tonight, but what we have here is some great truths. I guess what I could call some relevant truths uh, for you and me as we live out these days on the earth. So let me just start tonight. Join me in this story, and let's look at three or four things from this text tonight. First of all, I want you to notice in verse 1 and verse 2 and verse number 3, what I want to talk a little bit about tonight is the ship's relevance. The ship's relevance. You see, in our story tonight, we read in verse 1, verse 2, and verse number 3, that great multitudes are thronging the Lord Jesus. We are told in the Bible that never a man spake like Jesus. You know, Jesus could speak and the violent storms would cease. Jesus could speak and the dead would walk out of their tombs alive again. Jesus could speak and the trees would wither. He could speak and the lepers were cleansed. Oh yeah, they had it right when they said that never a man spake like this man. And then we're told in another part of our New Testament that uh, Jesus, the Bible said that the common 
people heard him gladly. You know, Jesus had a way of communicating truth to his listeners. He spoke of things and told stories and parables that people could identify with. He talked about going to weddings and feasts and suppers. He talked about, uh, he talked about uh, different kinds of miracles that he did and things that went along in, in that uh, situation. Uh, never a man spake like Jesus spoke and Jesus had a way of communicating truth to his listeners. And because of that, people thronged to hear what Jesus had to say. In our text tonight, we find that there are so many people that have crowded around him that he could no longer stand by the seashore and speak to the whole crowd. So he says to Simon Peter, their boats are standing there, and he says to Peter, uh, let me into the ship and then launch out a little ways, and Jesus would use that ship as a pulpit to preach the word of God. Now ladies and gentlemen let me tell you something. Before Jesus entered those ships they were nothing more than just ships. Oh I'm sure they were seaworthy vessels. I'm sure they were trustworthy vessels. These ships had provided a living for Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John down through the years. But let me tell you when Jesus stepped on board those boats can I tell you that those ships became very relevant to those people in that day. You know, anytime Jesus gets on something, it's going to become relevant uh, in that day and in our day as well. I'm telling you, when Jesus stepped on board these boats, it transformed them from a vessel to a pulpit to the most important place on this earth. You know, Jesus has a way of doing that, don't he? Anything that Jesus steps into, anything that Jesus becomes a part of, he can take something very ordinary and make it extraordinary. All the difference in the world when Jesus passes by, when Jesus gets on board your boat. I think about how that is true individually. She just sang a moment ago. She didn't know what I was going to preach. I didn't even know what they were going to sing tonight. But she sang about the difference when Jesus passes by, when the old ship of Zion comes by your way and, and, and the lifeboat is lowered and you get on board. You know what a difference it makes when Jesus gets on board your little boat. I think about when I was 16 years old and God got on board my little boat. Now, I wasn't never out and out in sin. I, I, just to be honest with you, and I brag on the goodness, of God and a mom and daddy who had to know everything I was doing, but I don't know what it's like. I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. I've been around people that have drank beer, but I've never drunk, took a drink of beer in my life. I know what it smells like, but I've never been around it. I, I don't know what it's like to, uh, to take drugs or anything of that nature, but can I tell you something? I was just as lost as anybody who did those things, but I'm so thankful for the night at the age of 16 years old when the Lord passed by my way and he entered on board my little boat and can I just stop and say this? No, I wasn't an out-and-out sinner. Uh, no, I wasn't a drug addict or a drunk. No, I hadn't slept around in every motel in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. But I'll tell you, I was going to the same hell as the rest of that crowd had. But oh, what a difference it made when Jesus stepped on board my little boat. Oh, yeah. Jesus, anything that he gets on, he never leaves it the same. You know, I used to be intimidated just a little bit because I didn't have one of those outstanding tests 
testimonies, you know. I was 73 years old, hooked on drugs. I was on amphetamine and I was on cocaine and on caffeine and I was hooked on all that stuff. And Jesus passed by at the age of 73 and stepped. But that's not my testimony. I don't have one of those kind of testimonies. Now, if you do, thank God for that. I don't have a testimony where I was laid up in some dirty, dingy motel room one night and I was about to take my life and I reached over in the drawer to grab a 38 revolver and got a hold of a Gideon Bible and took it out and began to read and God said, I don't have that kind of a testimony. All I got is this, man. I was lost as a ball in high weeds heading to hell. Wasn't morally rotten, but I'm telling you, God passed by and when he passed by, he changed my life. I used to be a little bit intimidated about that, but I, I had somebody come tell me one time, said, Preacher, I'll just be honest with you. If I had to choose for my kids to have that kind of a testimony, hooked on drugs, alcohol, or your kind of a testimony, he said, Preacher, any day of the week, I'd rather have them to have your kind of testimony. And you know something, ever since that time, I've just been sharing my testimony from the nursery to the ministry. God saved me by his grace. And oh, what a difference when Jesus gets on board your little boat. When Jesus stepped on board that boat that night, uh, that day, I'm telling you, all of heaven's attention was centered on that boat. God the Son and the Son of God had boarded that boat and all of a sudden, an ordinary boat had been relegated to an extraordinary uh, place. You know why? Because Jesus was on board that boat. You know what makes a difference in your life individually when Jesus gets on board your boat? And can I stop and say this? It makes a difference in a church when Jesus gets on board, don't it? You know the difference, and I say this a lot, but the difference between a dead church and a live church is Jesus. Can I have an amen? Boy, we ought to be so careful around here that we never grieve or quench the Holy Spirit of God. Because I'll tell you something, friend, it sure does make it easier to sing and it makes it easier to preach when Jesus is around somewhere. Can I have an amen? I'm reminded of that story in Mark chapter number two where the Bible said Jesus had gone back again to the city of Capernaum and it was noised abroad that he was in the house. And the Bible said that there was not so much room around him to enter into that house. And I'm telling you that place was full and the Bible said that Jesus preached the word unto them. I hope every time, I hope daily you and I will pray together that Jesus will show up at our church because I'm here to tell you when he shows up it makes a difference when Jesus shows up. So first of all in this text tonight we see a little bit about the ship's relevance. What made the ship relevant? Jesus got on board. What's going to make your life relevant when Jesus gets on board? What's going to make our our church relevant when Jesus shows up. Let's pray Jesus will show up when we gather together in the house of God, the ship's relevance. So the Bible said, verse one, verse two, and verse number three, that he entered, verse three, into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. So now Jesus is on board. Oh yeah, the ship's relevance. But not only do we see in this text tonight the ship's relevance, but we also see beginning in verse number four, the shocking request. The shocking request. Now here's the request. The Bible said after Jesus had left speaking in verse number four, that he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. 
So Jesus has been preaching. Multitudes have been gathered. It's probably something like an amphitheater. They're all over those hills. Jesus is on board that boat and he's been preaching to them the word of God. And then the Bible said the crowds begin to disperse. And after everyone had gone away, Jesus looks at Simon. He says, okay now, Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought for an abundance of fish, for a catch like you have never caught before. Now, that's to me a very simple request, but there are some problems with this request. Some problems. Let me just say that it was a shocking request. When when Jesus turned around and looked at Peter and said, okay, let's go out in the deep and let down your nets, that was a shocking, a shocking request. Now, I say that on, on the basis of this. There's a couple of problems with that request. Number one, this is a problem. Peter was a seasoned fisherman. He'd been in that boat and out on those waters for many, many years. No doubt Peter knew where all the honey holes were, the deepest parts of the lake. He knew where the fish were wont to gather. He he knew the best times to go fishing. He knew which direction the wind had to be blowing in to catch the most fish. He knew in what position the sun had to be in because he had been out on that boat, been on that boat and been out on that sea many times and caught many fish. Now all of a sudden, this seasoned fisherman is being told by a carpenter to launch out in the deep and let down your nets. You do understand that Jesus was a carpenter and not a fisherman, don't you? I mean, Jesus built tables for a living. Jesus constructed chairs for a living. Jesus made cabinets for a living. He was a carpenter by trade, not a fisherman. Peter could have probably looked back at him and said, Lord, uh, you know, thank you, but you don't know much about fishing, do you, Lord? Oh, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, Peter would have been speaking to the one who created the lakes and the streams. He was there on creation morning when the Bible said on that fourth or fifth day that God populated the seas with the fishes of the, of the earth and the fowls of the air. Oh, brother, Jesus knew exactly what he was talking about when he said to Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. Problem number one, Peter could have said, now, Lord, really, you're a carpenter and not a fisherman. But then I think about this. Here's another problem, and that's this. The Bible tells us that they had already fished all night long and had taken nothing. Is that there in verse number five where Simon answering said, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing? I mean, they had been, they'd, they'd been out there on that sea all night long lowering nets and raising nets. Maybe they picked up location. You know, sometimes if we ain't catching uh, fish, we'll move down a little bit or move up a little bit, try to find out where the fish are. And maybe Peter had told, uh, uh, they had maneuvered their boats into this area or into that area or whatever. And the Bible said they'd fished all the night long and they hadn't caught one fish. And the word of God said, furthermore, that they were in verse number two, they were going out of their boat now and they were washing their nets. I think their intentions were to be done for the day. I think their intentions was to go home and maybe get some rest. They'd been out there on the sea all night long. But then the Lord Jesus looked at Peter and said, all right, boy, launch out into the deep and let down your nets and you will catch a multitude, a multitude of fish. You know, sometimes the Lord may ask us to do something that defies human explanation. 
You ever had the Lord to tell you to do something? And it really didn't come with an explanation. You know, human reasoning. The Lord may lay it on your heart to go somewhere one of these days. The Lord may lay it on your heart to go to someone some of these days. And can I give you some good advice? Whatever the Lord tells you to do, there is always a divine assistance that goes along with that and a great blessing attached to it. That's why we ought to just obey God. When he tells us to do something, we ought to just obey the Lord. I like what I read this week. I want to share this with you, but I read this week that uh, the reason the Lord told Peter to launch out into the deep and let down your nets is because the Lord was wanting to reward Peter for the use of his boat. That's right. The Lord was wanting to pay Peter back for allowing him to use his boat to preach out of. You know, the Lord has a tendency to do that, don't he? To reward us. There's nothing that you and I will ever do for the Lord. There's nothing that you and I will ever give to the Lord that he won't repay us for what we have done. I'm reminded, and by the way, when he repays us, listen now, when he gives it back to us, it's always better than what we gave to him. Can I have an amen? I remember that story in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus is needing a donkey to ride into the city of Jerusalem. It's the week of passion. You know, he's getting ready to die on the, on the cross. And, and prior to that, Jesus is going to ride into the city of Jerusalem and he needs a donkey to ride on. So he says to two of his disciples, he tells them exactly where to go, exactly what to say. And if anybody says anything, just say the Lord hath need of it. And they went and found this donkey tied exactly where Jesus said it would be tied, but the only problem with the donkey is it had never been ridden before. It was wild. It was untamed. It had never been broke or meeked, as the Bible word would say. And there that donkey was. He is having a fit. He'd been tied up. He is gnawing at the road. He was kicking and eon and whatever the donkeys do. I mean, he was a mess. And they loosed that old donkey and those two disciples started trying to drag that old donkey over there where Jesus was. And then Jesus climbed on board that old donkey and that wild, untamed donkey became all at once. It became meek and mild. And when they returned that donkey back to that owner of that donkey, he no longer had a wild donkey, but he had a tame donkey that was ready for service. I just want to remind you that whatever you do for Jesus, whatever you give to Jesus, he'll always repay you and it'll always be better than what you gave to him. Yes, sir. There is the ship's relevance there is the shocking request. Peter, 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 don't leave, son. Don't go home yet. Boy, let go out in the deep and let down your net for a drought of fishes. So here we go now. There's the ship's relevance, and there is a shocking request. But now watch this. This is where it gets good, this fishing story. You see, the Bible said they had toiled all the night and they would taken nothing. But Peter, in, in this text, has what I would call a nevertheless moment. All right, stay with me. So we talked about the ship's relevance and the shocking request. I know y'all fished all night long and you haven't taken anything. And I know you're tired and you plan on going home. And I know, I get it, you've already washed your nets. I understand all that. But I got to pay you back for letting me preach in your boat. So I want you to launch out in the deep now, son, and let down your nets because now we read about a stupendous reward. Because look what happened in verse 5. Simon answering said unto him, Master, can't you just hear the tone of his voice? Master, 
as, as, as if to say, are you kidding me? We have toiled all the night. We have labored. I mean, Jesus, you don't understand. We've been out on the sea all night long. And, and Jesus, they ain't biting. Jesus, they ain't no fish around here. And Peter and Jesus said, but go out in the deep, let down your nets, and it's going to be an unbelievable catch. Well, Peter in verse number 5, after all of his reluctance, watch this now. Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. He has a nevertheless moment. Now, what is that? Look at verse 5. Nevertheless. Lord, I think this is a waste of time. Lord, I'm a, I've been on the boat. I've been out in the sea. I know when they're biting. I know when they ain't biting. This is, this is not going to be good. Nevertheless, I'm going to trust you. Nevertheless, I'm going to do what you have asked me to do. I'm going to resign myself to do the will of God. A nevertheless moment. Any time that God asks you to do something, in spite of your reluctance, when you reach that nevertheless moment in your life, when you resign yourself to do the will of God, watch this, something good is about to happen. And that ain't Oral Roberts, that's Brother Tim. Buddy, when you and I place ourselves in the position, though we may think it's a waste of time, though we may not have the best of motives behind it, when we say to God, nevertheless, whatever it is you've asked me to do, nevertheless, though I don't understand it, I don't get it, nevertheless, I'm going to let, I'm going to do what you've told me to do. You know, Jesus had a nevertheless moment in his life. You know, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and Calvary was just hours away, and the Bible said that he looked into that cup, that cup, and he began to see all that was waiting for him inside that cup, all the suffering and the separation from the Father and the agony that he was about to endure. He looked into that cup and he said, Lord, if it be your will, let this cup depart from me. But then he said this, look up on the screens. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Boy, when we reach that point in our life, when we don't understand, when we reach that point in our life, there's no human explanation, no human reasoning behind it. But the Lord said, I want you to do something. I want you to preach my word. I want you to be a missionary. I want you to marry a preacher. I want, you to, I want you to be a missionary's wife. I want you to serve God. I want you to raise a godly family. I want you to be faithful. Buddy, when we reach that nevertheless moment, Lord, now here's my plans. I'm going to go home. I'm going to bed. I'm, I'm sleepy. I'm tired. I'm going home. But Jesus said, but Peter, do this. And Peter said, nevertheless, I'm telling you, friend, when we commit ourselves and resign ourselves to do the will of God, we put our place, ourselves in a place to be greatly blessed by the Lord. So he sets about to do it. Notice in verse number seven, when we set about to obey God, it puts us in a good place for God to bless our life. And oh, ladies and gentlemen, there had never been a catch like they caught that night. Now the Lord said, let down in verse five, and many have preached about this, let down your nets. And Peter reluctantly said, okay, Lord, I'll let down the net. Jesus said, let down the nets, plural. You're going to catch a lot, Peter said. I've, I've cleaned them. They're clean. <laughs> I don't think we're going to catch a whole lot anyway. Nevertheless, I'll go out there and I'll let down the net. 
And the word of God said that they let down the net. If you look there at verse number 7, boy, the fish came out of everywhere. They came from Catfish Corner, from Bass Boulevard, from Perch Place, from Flounder Flats. I mean, they came from everywhere and began to crawl and pile into that net. And the net, the Bible said, there were so many fish in that net that it began to break and the boat began to sink. And Peter called back on shore, James, John, bring your boats. Get them out here. We caught so many fish, we can't get them in. Oh, I want to tell you, friend, when you reach that nevertheless moment in your life and you say to God, okay, I don't understand it. There's no explanation. There's no reason. But nevertheless, I'm going to do what you said. I'm telling you, Seth, you're going to put your place, Seth, in a good place to be blessed by the Lord. And there is a stupendous reward. When we obey God, God will bless our lives. But last of all, I want you to see this, the sudden resignation. So they called the other boats in. I, I, look, notice in verse 8, the Bible said Peter saw it. He fell down at the feet of Jesus, probably because of all of his reluctance. And he says this, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. No doubt through all of his unbelief and he didn't really want to do it anyway. And then when he saw all those fish, and by the way, if that's true, what that writer said, boy, Jesus sure did reward Peter good for, for Peter letting Jesus use his boat. What will God do for you if you'll let God use your boat? How will the Lord reward you and how will he reward me if we'll let him use our boat? And so the Bible said, oh, oh Peter fell down at the feet of Jesus and began to say, Lord, I'm a sinful man, oh Lord, depart from me, depart from me. And then the word of God said this in verse number 10. The Lord said to Peter in the last phrase, verse number 10, fear not from henceforth, thou shalt catch men. In other words, there's a moral behind the story. And the moral is this, Peter, you've been a fisherman all of your life. You've been catching fish. But now I'm going to reassign you. There's a reassignment, Peter. You're no longer going to fish for men, uh, for fish. Now you are going to fish for men. In other words, the Lord said, come on now, y'all follow me. And then look at verse 11. And when they had brought their strips, uh, ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. They're no longer fishing for fish. They're now going fishing for men. You know, that's what we ought to be doing. You know, there's a real danger if we aren't careful that our church can lose its, its purpose for existing. And our purpose for existing as a church is to catch men. That's why we exist. I, I like this. I read this the other day. But uh, our, our job as a church what do we exist? Why are we here as a church? Here's our purpose. Look up on the screens. Our purpose for existing as a church is to tell people who Jesus is and why they need him. Now, if you go on our website, it'll probably say something like this. Our church exists for three reasons. We exist to make disciples. We exist to mark disciples. And we exist to mature disciples. But our purpose is to tell people who Jesus is and why they need him. J. Vernon McGee said this this week. I read this and I wrote it down because, man, it's really good. Here's what he said. He said, every pulpit is a fishing boat. It's an attempt that's being made to catch fish. When I was preaching this morning, really I was fishing. When I was preaching, when I'm preaching tonight, really I'm fishing. 
When you teachers stand up in your class to teach those, those, that class, what you're really doing is fishing. You know, what this, you know what this church is? Just big old fishing boat. You know what these cars sitting around this parking lot are? Just little old motorboats. You know what those yellow buses are over there? Fishing vessels. You know what bus captains are? Fishermen. And our job as a church is to catch fish and bring them to Jesus. Fish for men. You know, when you fish for fish, you take them out of life and bring them unto death. But when you fish for men, you take them out of death and bring them unto life. And that's our job. This pulpit is a fishing boat. Can I have an amen? The pastor, the preacher, is a fishing. When I was up here this morning, I... Nobody bought... Well, somebody bit, found out after church this morning. One of the men from the mission got saved this morning. You know what happened? Big mouth bass. Brought him in. Landed him. You know what? That's our job. Our, our assignment is to do our best to be fishing for men. I wonder tonight, I wonder tonight, would it be embarrassing, would it be embarrassing if we put up on the screen tonight the last time, the last date when you told somebody about Jesus? Would it be embarrassing? Would it be embarrassing to me if on that last, uh, on, the, on the screen up there, the last person I won to Christ got him down the aisle and got him baptized. Would it be embarrassing how long ago that's been? Would it be embarrassing if we put that date up for you, that last person you got down the aisle and got him baptized? Would it be embarrassing to put that date up there? You know something? For some of us, probably would never be a date up there. You know why? Because we come to church, we enjoy the services, and I do enjoy church. Do you enjoy church? I enjoy church. I enjoy it. Sometimes I enjoy it too much. I love coming to church, and thank you for coming. But here's, I come to church, we come to church, so we can get charged up about going out and catching fish. That's what church is about. And I want to encourage you this week, as you said about this brand new week, just to remember, we don't fish for fish. We fish for men. We don't bring things out of life unto death. We bring things out of death unto life. And it's our job to go fishing with Jesus. Jesus said this in Mark 1.17. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Now, if that be true, if you believe that, would you say amen? If, if you don't believe it, check it out. It's in your Bible. Mark 1.17. Well, if that be true, and Jesus said, if you follow me, I'll make you to become fishers of men. It sounds like to me then, if you're following, you're fishing. But if you're not fishing, you're not following. So God help us in these days to go fishing with Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.